Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Don Amaro here, and before we get started, I wanted to let you know that we'll be discussing eating disorders on this episode. Please head to the episode notes for some resources. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, I'm Don Amaro, and this is Through the Fire, a podcast about overcoming adversity, reframing misfortune, and celebrating courage. On this show, you're going to meet some really incredible people who have been through some heavy stuff, but they've come through the other side. And the hope is that you're encouraged and inspired by the words that you hear. My guests today are family, Mark Chipman, the chair of True North Sports and Entertainment, who you may know best as the owner of the Winnipeg Jets, and his daughter, Sarah Howe, who is a graduate of kinesiology, currently in med school, And she sits as the chair of the board of the North Point Douglas Women's Center here in Winnipeg, Manitoba. They join me today here on Through the Fire. Mark and Sarah, thanks so much for coming in here on Through the Fire today and joining me. I'm so honored that you're here. Mark, you and I have struck up a really good friendship in the last couple of years. And I'm I'm honored anytime I get a chance to share some space with you because I know you're a super busy man. And Sarah, you know, you and I have had a chance to work together on a couple of different initiatives here in town. And um, I, I still have to have a private cooking lesson at some point in time, but <laughs> we can get in that later. But uh, I want to start with um, business, if that's okay. Mark, you are well known around here as one of the most prominent business gentlemen in town, I would say. You know, with, um, you're a pillar of the community. Um, you've got uh, community initiatives like the downtown uh, community what's, what? safety, safety, safety partnership. Yeah. Uh, uh, Project 11, uh, Gonzaga Middle School, all the downtown development and not to mention the Winnipeg Jets. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you can take me back to the early days of True North Sports and Entertainment and what that was like for you because that that's probably a big heavy season in your history. Yeah, it was. It w- you know, um, there was lots going on. I, I just moved back to Winnipeg. and What was the year? Well, I moved back in a, gosh... Uh, 88 and then went to work for the family and then you know um started raising a family and uh sarah was born and and then annie was born and um and then the jets uh kind of started to unwind and got couldn't tell you exactly how i got so pulled. you were all there in that jets 1.0 era yeah yeah era. we were i, I kind of got pulled into the a, a very broad uh group uh effort to save them right and and you know the 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 legendary sort of save the jets campaign which was um you know a really cool thing to be a part of but unfortunately was unsuccessful and so i had this idea well if if that league's leaving let's you know let's try and keep the game going by acquiring a team in the in what was then the next best league in the on the continent so we did that you know how how hard could that be sort of thing and uh, that was 96. Actually, the year the Jets left, we started up. And and that was, uh, you know, those first few years in particular were really challenging. Um, 
didn't know what I didn't know, you know, mm-hmm. other than having grown up playing the game and, and, uh, and had a little bit of, ex- you know, experience in business and, you know, I uh, had practiced law. So I kind of, kind of had a, you know, just enough knowledge to be dangerous and, uh, and started it up and, you know, and it, and it, it didn't go well at all, to be honest with you, the first mm-hmm. few years and it became very obvious that we, we, the league wasn't going to survive. And so the next step was really just to, to work at merging two existing leagues. And we did that. And that's sort of what just gave us the momentum to keep going, which led to the mm-hmm. building, which led to ultimately. The building was built in 2010? No, no. Uh, building we opened in 04. Oh, uh, that? Oh, no, okay. November of 04. So after the Jets left in 97, 96? They left in 96. We played in what was then the International League. We merged with the American League in 01. And uh, at on, honestly, the very same week in May, we announced building the building. We announced the merger of the leagues. We announced our partnership with the Canucks. And, and uh, yeah, so it was, I want to tell you, there was some really well-thought-out plan. Um, there really never was. It was, it was mm. you know, it was just sort of, organic, right? Um, which is kind of what I had learned from my father. If you got an opportunity, if you see an opportunity and you know, you think you can somehow uh, meet a need, um, you know, proceed sort of thing. And that's what we did. And and it just sort of took on a life of its own. And here we are. And the Jets uh, came back in 2011? Correct. A 15 year hiatus. So in that 15 years, how long was the concept of like, we need to get them back? When did that begin? Well, it, it, it was kind of always in the back of my mind that, you know, w- w- if we're ever going to get them back, um, we should keep the game alive. That was number one. Number right. two, you had to get a building. So that's the next thing we did. And then number three, uh, you got to make friends with the commissioner of the league. And I I got to do that kind of coincidentally when we put the leagues together. He was, a you know, he had some oversight of that. And and then I ran into him. Uh, it was bizarre. I ran into him at the Olympics, a buddy of mine. Uh, and I drove down to Salt Lake City for for uh, to watch the the Olympics, the mm-hmm. hockey. And I ran into him, and he 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 had remembered me from like just one meeting and treated us really well. And by then we were we had announced we were building a building. Um, so I said, "Hey, we're building a building." And um, he's like, "Okay, well, let's stay in touch." And so we did. And then in '07, they invited us to New York to make a presentation mm-hmm. with four other cities and. And uh, I guess that went well because of of those five, we were sort of chosen to get the next opportunity, which we did. It gets really crazy now, so I'm not going to bore you with it. But we actually had, you know, come really quite close to acquiring other teams prior to mm-hmm. that. But eventually, we were able to land the one in Atlanta in '11. I love this part of the story, and I think I might have put these words in your mouth at some point in time. I'm not sure, but. I remember when I asked you about Winnipeg Jets and sort of all the stuff that you're doing with downtown and building. And, and I, I said, is this for you a service to the city? And I think your response was, yeah, like you wanted to serve the city in, a, in, a, in this way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, it was impossible to not understand how important the team was to the community, right? When, when, when we lost it, mm-hmm. it was devastating, you know, like we're still the smallest market in the league. Um, but there was something about back then, just the notion that when you, you could read Winnipeg versus New York, Winnipeg versus Los Angeles, right? Chicago, Toronto. And I think it, it, it just instilled, it was a way for people in the community that 
to, to show their pride, right? That we sort of, bo- we, we uh, belonged amongst these, uh, you know, these great big North American cities. Mm. And, and so that, you know, if you, if you boil us down, that's what we, we, what we're trying to be is a source of pride, right? Mm. That's what I, I think we are. I think the name is, but then it's our responsibility to make people, you know, feel good about what it is we're doing and maintain that pride. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that, that was sort of the impetus from, from the get go. And like I said, I, I mean, I, I, I grew up playing the game. My, our, my family was, you know, deeply, um, involved in every, you know, we just played sports. That's mm-hmm. what we, so there was that attraction, but you know, it's on the other side of it, it's, it's a very challenging and very, uh, you know, it's a, it's a challenging business, right? But on that front, this is called through the fire. Yeah. And on the world of business, what would you say has been sort of the, the most, and maybe, maybe you can't tell me the most, but is there, is there, is there a moment where you thought this is, this is that we're in deep here in something, and this is what we have to try to get out of what comes up in your mind as some of the most challenging, uh, in business? Um, well, I building the building was tricky, right? Like, um, that, that was, there were some real crucibles, um, you know, th- we were with we five lawsuits filed against us, right. To, to, hmm. um, to, per- to try and stop it. We went to the Supreme court of Canada on one of them and, you know, we weren't the most popular, um, amongst everybody, the idea of tearing down the Eaton's building, right. Yeah. It got personal, you know, um, and in some funny ways that are <laughs> worth mentioning, but it, it got, it, you know, so, but it, it was never like there were, I, I can't tell you there was a, there was that like super dark moment where like, oh, you know, um, but there were just a series of, you know, pretty significant challenges, but you know, I don't know. I learned so much through the whole thing. And, um, one thing I can tell you, I, I learned back then was nothing it, you know, is as bad at three o'clock in the morning as you think it is. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like when you wake up with, I think we all do, you yeah. wake up with that. It's three o'clock in the morning and it's bad, but by yeah. four o'clock in the morning, you know, the world is right. just about to come to a stop. And then you get up, you know, at six o'clock and you're like, what was that all about? Mm, right. And right, right. so I learned that, you know, to just sort of through all that. That reminds me, like I often have, if you have a nightmare and you have that nightmare, you wake up at 3 o'clock when it's the scariest thing you've ever, then you think about it the next day, at, you know, after over breakfast, like oh. I was scared of that thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a bit like that for me. Yeah. And we've been talking a little bit about business, obviously, because yeah. again, I, that's where most of us know you and connect with you. And, but because we've had this personal relationship, but you know, and I've gotten to know Sarah over the last couple of years as well. I know that there's also personal fires that people have to go through. And so for you, Sarah, um, I know that as a family, you guys have had to navigate through some, some struggles that you've had in your life um, mm-hmm. that you've since overcome, uh, from what I understand. Would you be willing to share that chapter of your story with us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess, like, just to kind of get right into it, the I have now, I would say, I'm cautiously recovered from an eating disorder. Um, started when I was... I think I was around 12, to be honest with you. Um, and I, through that time when I was a lot younger, it was primarily bulimia um, and then really mm. transitioned into anorexia when I got older. And that's when it kind of got a little bit more serious. Um, yeah, it was, it was tough. Like, I think I've been, you know, did a lot of years of therapy. I've been to treatment, a couple different kinds of treatment, and I've kind of boiled it down to 
it was right around the time that I was diagnosed with a disease called uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder um, where at, a, you know, at 12, I was quite young and uh, didn't have a lot of self-awareness and very quickly um, didn't have control over what was going on in my body, mm-hmm. had a lot of dislocations. When, when were you diagnosed? When I was 12. 12. And then it was honestly within that year that all of my eating disorder symptoms kind of started to um, present themselves. Mm-hmm. So Was the, the eating disorder a, a result of this? You know, it's hard to say. I've had people suggest that for sure. Mm-hmm. And it... And, you know, I think that that definitely could be the case. The timing um, makes sense. And I think especially because before that, um, as a young child, I didn't have the kind of struggles that I had that kind of presented themselves after um, I was diagnosed and after I started struggling on a pretty regular basis physically. I was a very fearless child, like very, very fearless, like jumping off. I've got off, one of those. Oh, like, <laughs> like no, no boundaries, you know, gave my mom a heart attack on a regular basis kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I got one of those. Um, and I think, you know, something that I think is important to distinguish is that I, I don't see eating disorders as being in the same category as anxiety, depression, OCD, mm. those mental health issues. I see them as a result of those things. It's more of a... I would categorize it as being similar to addiction. Um, it's something that I think I developed because of the amount of anxiety that I had from losing control of, of what was going on in mm. my body, and that was my coping mechanism. Um, yeah. And so, um, you, you, you. What was the term you used when you started off? That you said you're, you're, you're a. The term you used in terms of an eating disorder, um, you're recovered? recovered? I, call, I call it cautiously recovered. Cautiously recovered. Yeah, I think that's not something that I hear a lot of people talk about. Right. Um, unfortunately, even when I went to inpatient treatment, it's very much um, kind of decided for you that you're going to struggle with this forever. Right. And I really didn't like that idea. Mm. Um you know, I understand that some people might, and I think for a while I maybe thought that I would, um, but I can honestly say that I don't anymore. Like, mm. I don't identify with having an eating disorder anymore. Right. I don't have those behaviors anymore. It took me a really long time and a lot of work, mm. um, but I, I call it cautious because I know that, you know, if I were to go through something traumatic or if my anxieties were to really resurface, that that would be, you know, an easy way for me to go back to, to coping with those feelings. Well, it's it, the reason why I ask that, because I know people who have been through AA or who have had some sort of addiction, particularly when you think about alcohol, mm-hmm. people will, I've heard it said, I, I, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm an addict. And meanwhile, they haven't drank for 25, mm-hmm. 30 years, but they still acknowledge that that's a part of who they are. And um, that's, a, that's a big, um, big phrase, I think, to kind of um, connect to this whole thing for yourself. Yeah. And, you know, to be completely frank, I struggled with some substance addiction throughout the years as well that was mm. very tightly related to um, to the eating disorder behaviors. Mm. Um, and I went to some 12-step meetings for quite a while and um, talked about substance abuse and, uh, and the eating disorder and used that for both. And that was kind of something that I struggled with after a period of time where you know, I don't identify with this anymore and, and mm. doesn't mean I might not ever struggle again. But for me, um, I needed to step away from it after a while and just kind of live my life as Sarah, not as, hi, I'm Sarah, I have an eating disorder kind right. of thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. For you, Mark, when you look back at that era, what was that like for you, you as, you as a parent? Um, you know, it... It it was kind of it's hard to explain it 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 unfolded in 
and and you didn't really you didn't really appreciate what was happening at first. You know, I had mm-hmm. no experience with the the subject matter at all. Sarah was at the time that she was diagnosed with what's called Ehlers Danlos syndrome. Um, she was playing hockey at a very high level, and and um, and it was a big part of her life. And not only the game, but the friends. You mm-hmm. know, the and and there were, you had played with a lot of those girls for a long time. And it ended very abruptly, you know, and I, I, so I really, you know, um, I, I struggled with that for her. I remember the day vividly. Well, why did it end very abruptly? It just couldn't play anymore. Like, you know, you really have no rigidity in any of your joints. So she kept dislocating her shoulder. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, The last day I ever played was the um, AAA spring team tryout. Right. Uh, and I put my hip out on the ice. Marina McGlennon was there. Yeah. Um, took me home. And Did you get hit? Did you get bumped? Or? No, I just took a really long stride, and it mm. went out this way. It was it was that simple at that point. Mm. It's gotten a lot better as I've gotten older, but it was it could be something from from a very small movement at mm. that point in my life. And I remember the day very vividly because yeah. there was it was a real long shot that I was going to make that team. I was two years younger than most of the girls that were playing, and. Um, it was the last day of tryouts and I got a call from, um, the coach saying I made the team. And then I got a call from my doctor saying you can't play hockey anymore. So that was a tough day. Thanks for sharing that, Sarah. Uh, Mark, I want to get your response to this in just a moment, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back here on through the fire. Have you ever thought I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Yeah, it was a tough day. We went, uh, you know, so you kind of go into problem-solving mode, right? And we ended up, sought out a guy down in the States who had the, uh, it was sort of the guy on, on, on the subject. We went to South Bend, Indiana, right? Mm-hmm. To see a, guy, a doctor who turned out to be wonderful, but, and, you know, um, kind of confirmed that that type of physical activity wasn't, wasn't going to be possible. So mm-hmm. very abrupt, very, you know, sort of a rupture uh, for Sarah in terms of, um, you know, what her life and world was about until then. And, and mm-hmm. as she said, you know, young, hard to process. We were trying to process it all. So like there wasn't, you know, you try to understand and learn, but, you know, you're, you're going uh, off instinct uh, often. And then you know, so I I don't think it's coincidence that mm-hmm. you know your 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 struggles with eating. Um, as I tried to learn as much about that as I could. And what yeah. year was this? Like like when the I that stopped hockey playing kind of... when I was either sixteen or seventeen. So I played through it for a few years uh, with dislocations along the way. So um, two thousand and eight nine maybe two thousand ten. So this is crazy. So that's at the same time. Yeah. There's probably a million things going on. Yeah, it was. You. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. there's lots going on. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I imagine the juggle was... Yeah. I, I say this as a dad who's constantly juggling family and work all the time. Like, like I just feel like it's it's hard to always strike that balance and, and, and be all the things. Mm. Yeah, there, you, there was lots going on, you know, um, at that time. Not to mention just what happened globally, right, to the economy in 08, mm-hmm. 09. And I wish I could remember it all in mm-hmm. each step of the way. 
I remember. I imagine most of the time you're just hanging on. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. What I know of right now. That's the yeah. season I'm in with my kids. Yeah. It, it's, um, but you do. You just, something, you know, it, 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 I don't ever remember, you know, thinking, well, we're not hanging on. Like, you know, <laughs> um, you just, you know, the saying, um, you're only, you're only as happy as your least happy child, sort of. Um, I remember somebody saying that to me and, uh, you so said, you shared that with me too. Yeah. I mean, it, it's true. Like when you, when, when you have a, your, your, your flesh and blood is struggling, you know, you just, doesn't matter what's going on anywhere else. Yeah. You know, it's just all kind of becomes noise. It's background noise, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're, there's a, there's a voice in your head all the time, you know, saying, I got to get, I got to fix this. I got to help this. So you know what I mean? So mm. it's just, I think it's instinctual in all of us. And so I think that's sort of what just kicked in. So you're fast forward. Mm-hmm. You're now in your twenties. Almost. You've, you're, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, but, but at that season, mm-hmm. um, when oh. you're, when you're, when you're at this, because I think you hit a crossroad yeah. right? where it was like, this is either going to, I'm going to, fight or or mm-hmm. die in this thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it went for you, right? From what I know of your yeah, story. Yeah, quite literally. Um, yeah. yeah, I, you know, I, as I mentioned, went to a couple different kinds of treatment. I tried inpatient, outpatient, and I definitely, I wouldn't say that they were failures. I think I learned things along the way that I've kept with me and I use to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, but not one of them was the solution for me. Uh, I still continued to relapse and each time it got worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last time uh, I actually had a sudden cardiac arrest when I was 20, almost 23. Oh, I yeah. Um, I hadn't eaten in weeks and was, you know, really not in a good place mm-hmm. and, uh, was in my apartment in Toronto and had to get myself to a hospital and didn't really know what was going on. And it was, um, that was sort of it for me. Um, I think, you know, I'd had some consequences for my actions for sure up until that point, but, um, you know, not to say that this might not be the case for some people, but I really wasn't suicidal. I wasn't, um, I didn't ever have thoughts about ending my life or not wanting to be around anymore. And that was the first time when I was faced with the reality of what my actions were doing to me. Mm. Um, and it, and I panicked. I was, I remember thinking like, oh my God, no, 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 no. I don't, that this can't mm. happen, you know? Um, and that's the reality. I think especially with eating disorders, you can convince yourself that you're doing things because you want to be healthy and it's very common to want to lose weight or whatever it might be. There's lots of things you can tell yourself. Um, but that was the first time where I realized that if I didn't stop those, those behaviors that, you know, you you have to eat, you can't, you can't do that. So, um, that was it. Like I literally from that day, um, never touched a substance like that again, never, Mm. and just started eating. Like I just, was there something that you that you clinged to in that season of like? I mean, it sounds like you already just was like you had this this passion for life, mm-hmm. and you never it was never a thought in your mind that you were like I don't want to be here anymore. But was there something that you hung on to or that that gave you the strength to kind of keep keep present? Like, what what is it that you that, that you kept wanting to live for? Like, like what, what's the thing that you? I guess I don't, I can't think of another better word than than hung on to. Well, I just, I think I just felt like I hadn't done anything yet. There were so many things I've always wanted to do. I think I've always had a lot of goals and dreams and I had only gone to university for a year and it didn't go very well. And I hadn't really had a great job that I loved and I hadn't really been in love before. And I I knew I wanted to have kids and there was all these things that I hadn't done. And I just felt like, you know, I had to still have a whole life. So So I just, yeah, 
You had vision for yourself. I actually, I actually met my husband like a month after that day. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. That's super cool. I yeah. love that part of your story. That, yeah. that immediately, like your life turned around. And I mean, not to say that there wasn't struggles, obviously, along probably along the way and mm-hmm. since then, but that was seven, six years ago. Yeah, yeah, almost seven years ago. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that part of of the of the fact that your story that immediately there is just changes happening right away when you decided I'm going to take control of this and mm-hmm. and understanding that that's a part of of who you are. Yeah. I feel like I just kind of woke up. Like I was in Toronto by myself and I just got on a plane to go see my family. And then mm. I just spent some, I spent a couple of weeks with them and then went back and just started over and mm. went from there. Now, again, as a parent, as you're seeing your child go through these things, um, that must've been like, I, what was that? What's that season like for you when your child comes, comes and, and sort of finds, finds a new path? In a way, you know what? It's been um, there hasn't been any one single moment because it it it's been a series of them of just you know um, today like, being a big like one. To today honestly yeah. I mean this is a real coincidence but like hard not to get emotional uh, watching her walk up uh, and and you know not only graduate by uh, the way uh, today uh, Sarah graduation ceremony today just happened <laughs> yeah. before this shoot yeah, yeah. and. You know, so my Patty, my wife and I are there, and it's it's hard not to you know reflect right on on what what Sarah's been through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really think about it. I I know my wife doesn't. We don't really think about what we went through. Um, we I, we've always kind of focused on or thought tried to think about what what is Sarah dealing with, right? And um, and how can and and then just how how can you love her through it as as best we can? I, I don't think we. There were times we did a very good job of it. We wasn't for for lack of trying or caring, but I just think we didn't know a lot about what she was going through. And you know, um, more and more I learned. More and more my wife learned. Um, you know, more comfortable we came with. I, I had I, I I had this sense. I always had this sense that she, you know, this day was gonna uh, even even sort of in the most difficult moments along the path and there were many for Sarah you know um, you know I think about taking you to Guelph right like um, mm-hmm. uh, there was no resources for her you know so we you take so your kid to, after you'd come home no no, no this is this along the way it, we you know we, we Sarah spent three months in, in a hospital in mm-hmm. in Guelph because just there wasn't you know that kind of resource here, and and it wasn't perfect by any stretch, but it was, mm-hmm. it was what we could do at the time, right? Is there since that support here now or not? Still no, not, not the same. Not not really. There is there is a program at Health Science Center um, that has its own challenges that wasn't an option at the time. Right. Uh, at the time, I think the only option was there was a, a bed in the general psych ward. Um, yeah. So couldn't do that, uh, yeah. and so. But that was very difficult. Well, I mean, I, I would tell you that was a that was a hard moment when you you know you you take your your kid to you know a couple thousand miles away and and um, and then you have to leave, right? Now we you know I we we got back and forth and uh, and talked every day, but it was still it was really tough. But but you know I, I don't think it was nearly as tough on my wife and I as it was on you know Sarah to have been there by herself, you know. So. Mm. All I, you know, as I reflected on it today, like I, I never really, honestly, had a doubt um, that Sarah would overcome all of this, because there's a a resilience like that is 
uncommon, right? It's the, the you, you know, all you got to do uh, is say, I don't think you can do this, you know, and pick your subject. And, you know, and so there's this almost unhealthy, uh, she says, I have OCD, but, but there's like, there's this laser focus and there always was, you know, from a very early age. And I think, I hope, you know, like I, I feel so fortunate like I, I joke about it, but how, how much I overmarried, you know, like my wife was, um, like Pat, you know, there was, I don't, she's a saint as far as I know of. I, I mean, I, I feel like, I felt like, you know, we, we, we tried our best to love our kids as much as we could. And what I mean by that, like, you know, I don't mean like think about them fondly. I mean, like we'll try and will goodness wherever we mm. could. And, and so it was, and, and I know that took hold of Sarah because she's that way, you know, with her, she was always a really good friend. You know, she was, her friendships are deep. You know what I mean? Like everything's sort of like, it's all, I'm all in. And so when, when she decided to take this on, like finally, and it was like, well, it, you know, I don't know how long this is going to take, but it's, it'll end but well. She'll succeed. Yeah. And, you know, today was just coincidentally a real hmm. beautiful checkpoint along the road to see her um, graduate with distinction in a subject like I can't even spell <laughs> and um, and you know and with you know on to a master's uh, program in the fall and along the way the thing I think I'm most proud of is that um, is how she's helped other people mm. like you know because there wasn't the resources here like the, the group you organized, like the, just the support group. Mm. There wasn't any around, so she started one, you know, and again, all in, mm. right? And uh, so, yeah, I mean, way more challenging for, for Sarah than it ever was, I, I think, for me. And, and credit all goes to her for battling her way through this mm. with that resilience. Yeah. And then, and not just being self focused about it, although you have to be, but on a parallel set of tracks going, how can I help somebody else through this as well? Mm. That's what I'm most proud of. I think a common thread that I'm, I'm already sensing is going to be part of this show as we keep evolving is there's this attitude of service yeah. that, that, mm-hmm. that, that people that I think of the guests that I'm going to have on this show that I sense from both of you. And I was going to ask, you know, if there's advice for a parent going through this, it sounds like you've already said it is love your kids through it, you know, love, love them through it. Yeah, that's number one. And, 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 um, and then, you know, don't be afraid to ask. You know, I think part of the problem was I didn't know anything about disordered eating. And then I learned, wow, you know, there, it, it's, it felt stigmatized. I don't think I, we ever looked at it that way. Mm-hmm. I, I hope we didn't, you know, like it was like, I'm here talking to you about it, right? Like part of the reason I'm really comfortable doing that is to, is so that it, it, it becomes less stigmatized and more people you know, can maybe spotted in what's going on with their child at an earlier age and, and move more quickly than I did, you know, and or learn, get to understand it more quickly mm-hmm. and advocate for it, you know, because we, we do need more resources mm-hmm. uh, to support people that go through this. For you, Sarah, what would you say to somebody who's maybe going through a bit of that same thing? Everybody, everybody's journeys is very different and, and there's no two, the, two alike, but 
there are people out there that are hearing your story going, that's, mm-hmm. that's like what I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. What would you share with somebody kind of going through that same place? You, it takes time. You got to be patient with yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I appreciate all of the confidence and me solving it on my own. But I think, you, you know, you need support from lots of different mm-hmm. places. I think the, one of the biggest things I've learned is there's not one solution um, and there's not one person that's going to fix it. Um, it's not, I, ha- I have a therapist, I have my parents, I have a few very close friends, I have a support group, there's, I had a sponsor for a period of time, there's, you kind of have to piece together your own crew that's going to mm-hmm. help you get through it, and different people you're going to take different information to and get support from. Um, but being connected is number one, like, you cannot get through this alone, I know that mm-hmm. for a fact. Um, and there's, there, as much as it, we don't want it to be stigmatized, you know, there's a lot of I've seen there's a lot of people who feel like they're the only person in the world that's ever felt this way. They have these big, scary, dark feelings that they have so much shame around. And then as soon as you get into some safe space and you can say those things out loud and no one's shocked by what you're saying, or they might even have something to respond to you with that they've felt something very similar, the shame goes away. And that's when you really start to um, find a way to get out of it. So. Hmm. I appreciate you both so much. And you're both, you both have inspirational stories. And I want to know, my last question, the question I am going to ask all my guests on this show is, for both of you, is there a book, a podcast, a documentary series, uh, music, something that you listen to that inspires you right now? Is there something that you're into? Oh, um, yeah, I would say currently I'm rereading A Return to Love. Um, which is a precursor to A Course in Miracles, um, which I find is sort of my way of being spiritual. Um, I find that it's, it's a very dense, A Course in Miracles is very, very dense. It's tough to read, and A Return to Love is a nice intro to it, and it sort of touches on addiction and, and all these kinds of struggles as well, so that's a great one. Cool. Yeah. What about you, Mark? I got a few things. Other than my music. Yeah, well, <laughs> which, honestly, no, all joking aside, yeah. um, I, I got a routine in the morning that that uh, that I've been doing for a long time, and I tap into, I've got, I think, four different sources that I'm on right now um, with music, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading a book right now. Um, it's a bit obscure, but it's called The Fulfillment of All Desire, and it's um, it's uh, it's fascinating sort of read and of, of, uh, of um, sort of a... You know, how do you get on that train to, you know, holiness almost, right? Mm-hmm. As as um, described by some more modern day uh, saints like Catherine of Siena and uh, Teresa of Lisieux, like you know, like like people that thought deeply about the same stuff we're dealing with in this mm-hmm. age, that found a pathway, you know, and mm-hmm. so. I've been a junkie for, you know, any kind of leadership uh, stuff almost my whole adult life, but it's kind of taken a different path Mm. for me of late. And I'm, I'm trying to better understand that whole connection with the creator and Mm. really I'm, I'm working hard at it and, um, and I'm, you know, it's a process like anything else, Mm. but I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Well, thank you both so very much for being willing to come and sit with me, and uh, I look forward to the next dinner you invite me to sometime down the road. Anytime. <laughs> what are you doing tomorrow? Right? <laughs> You're too busy. You know you are. Yeah. Uh, one of these days. Thank you, Don. 
As I always say, it takes a village to run things here at Through the Fire. And I want to thank my village, executive producer Sarah Burke, administrators Lori Brown and Alan Grayeyes, video and audio design by Chris Godry and his team at 44 Films, feisty creative for their design work, social media support by Johnson Design Company, and last but far from least, I want to thank our technical producers, Matt Kundle and Evan Serminski from the Sound Off Media Company. I look forward to sharing more great conversations just like this one on the next Through the Fire. You see the light. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.